Let's open our Bibles to Acts 20, verses 17 through 38. Acts 20, 17 through 38. A continuing story here of the Apostle Paul's travels as he is heading now back towards Jerusalem. Um, the Spirit is moving him to go there, and he knows that it will be a dangerous mission. And yet he still needs to go and profess Christ, um, particularly among the Jews there. And so uh, he's on his way. Uh, he's done really a big loop through what is now Turkey. And so I don't have a map to show you today, but if you would imagine modern-day Turkey, um, it was called in this day Asia or Asia Minor. And the Apostle Paul went by land early in his third missionary journey uh, through various towns, um, Ephesus being one of them where he spent a lot of time, actually, in Ephesus. And then kind of looped around towards Greece, and we, we've been reading about that in recent weeks as well. Now he's going by sea back towards um, Jerusalem, if you can imagine uh, the Aegean Sea between Greece and Turkey. Um, uh, that is where the Apostle Paul is, is set in this story. And so um, we're going to read, starting at verse 17, and uh, listen for the theme of fellowship of how faith unites people together, as I'm reading. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this passage that we just read, we have three sections that might seem a little bit disconnected, but, but there is a thread that's woven through. The first section of what we read, Paul begins with a description of his ministry in Ephesus. And we can read that as a kind of pastoral job description, actually, of what a minister should be, of what a minister should do. And then the Apostle Paul follows that um, recounting of what he did among them with some teaching uh, that was a warning about false teachers that would come to Ephesus after Paul departed from this area. And then finally, we have the two parties, Paul and his missionary friends, the elders from Ephesus, saying an emotional goodbye to one another. Uh, Luke even records that, that there was much weeping on the part of all. And so what's the common thread here between the job description of a minister, uh, the warning of false teachers, and the tearful goodbye? I think it is that these three sections we find the church is bound together by faith and by love and not by worldly means. And we can say that of each section of this passage from Acts chapter 20, that the church is bound together by Christ, by faith in him, and by love for God and one another. And the church is not bound together by by worldly means. Twice, Paul reminds the Ephesian elders that he wasn't a missionary in order to earn money. He reminds them that twice here and, and many other churches. He brings that to the attention of uh, those who are listening. And he, he doesn't do this so much to brag about himself, but he, he points out that he um, was generous with his time and not expecting um, any money from these churches because he's saying, I wasn't there among you because I was getting paid to be there among you. He, he does this because he's telling them, I, I, I preach to you with tears. I preach to you uh, out of love from my heart for Christ and for you. And then at the end of the text, he quotes Jesus saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so that isn't just a reference to money. That's often where it's applied as we think about how we should would use our money and, and uh, steward our money. Well, it's blessed to give than receive. That is true. But, but think of that as a ministry philosophy. That's what Paul is pointing to here. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And so Paul and any other Christian, this isn't just for pastors, is not a professional. He isn't a Christian because of some outside force compelling him, because of some monies that, that he's earning. It's a job that he's just sort of going to do for a season of his life. No, his ministry, his preaching, his love for people comes from his heart. And so he loves to give loves to give attention and true teaching and, and, um, and help to these churches that he has helped plant. So what did Paul give to the Ephesians? 
if we think almost uh, with this, this mantra, it is better to give than receive, we can sort of put that over the rest of the passage and we can say, how did Paul give to the Ephesian church? Verse 18, he said, I lived among you. He stayed with them for particularly the Ephesians, for a a long time. In verse 19, with humility and endurance through trials, he endured through difficulty among them. Uh, He experienced persecution in Ephesus, just like he did in every other town he went. That was sacrificial. And so as Paul says, it's better to give than receive. We know that he's lived this out. He's, he's, He's walked the talk. That among them, he has given much, given his own security and safety and comfort. Paul has needed courage, according to verse 20. Courage to teach whatever is profitable. And in verse 27, he has declared the whole counsel of God. And so, what would this include? He includes some, some clues as to what that might include as well, where Paul says the whole counsel of God includes repentance toward God. That's what he said. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that might sound to us today like just to be the expectation of every pastor. In Paul's day, this required a brave minister, a brave pastor, just to focus people on the basics of the Christian faith. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen how in some cities this required for Paul and his fellow missionaries to to call them to, to burn their They're precious and very valuable books of spells, right? Valuing more than 50,000 silver coins. In another place, uh, they endure persecution because of the the temple of Artemis of the Ephesians, right? In, In Ephesus. And so just saying basic Christian truths is dangerous for Paul. It requires courage and bravery. So he has given away even his safety for their sakes. Now, the Ephesian church was healthy, but those Christians were living in, in the spiritual trenches. Um, several weeks ago, I kind of mentioned that Ephesus would have been a city a lot like um, what you'd find in India today, where there would, there, there would have been a, a sense of spiritual darkness in that place because of uh, temples to foreign gods, false gods, um, a lot of dark even a cultish spiritual activity happening in Ephesus during the day. And so these people, this church, we don't know how large of a church it was, but it was a big city, would have been experiencing great opposition. And these Ephesian Christians, along with the Apostle Paul, they've been in the trenches together. And that has really produced close fellowship with one another. It's in the trenches where people enjoy a strong and long-lasting bond. Don't we know that that's true not just in churches, but in the world as well? General Ulysses S. Grant said this about what happens among men who go to battle together. This great quote that I found from the president and Civil War general, the friend of of my adversity I shall always cherish most, he said. I can better trust those who help to relieve the gloom of my dark hours than those who are so ready to enjoy with me the sunshine of my prosperity. So why are those relationships so strong? Whether it's in a church in Ephesus 
or in the Union Army. Because when you're on a battlefield, you rely on people. When you're on a battlefield, you need help in a profound way that you don't need during peacetime. Not only that, but it's in those moments where soldiers give that help and sacrifice for one another. Jesus said there's no greater love than this when a man lays down his life for his friends. And, of course, we know that that only happens in the context of danger where, um, where we show love and, and where we are bound even closer to each other because of opposition. Now, people who are not truly Christians, whether a pastor or a member of a church, will not live in that way. They will not endure the trenches with one another. But where the Spirit of God is powerfully at work, there will be a system of support, of encouragement, of truth-telling, and of hopefulness that binds people together. When God saw Adam in the garden, we might recall what he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And since that time, God has provided companions for people. Of course, the first companion of Adam was Eve and And the Lord has been doing this great work of of bringing people together graciously, wonderfully, for our benefit. And so often that happens through difficulty. One of the great themes of Scripture is that the Lord brings people together with one another. He loves fellowship. He does so not just for our own good, but so that we can grow in our knowledge of Him, that we can grow in our, our love for Him. We can grow in our experience of community, not just with each other, but in our experience of community with God. And so, this has been happening in the church in Ephesus, and it has created a, a tight bond between Paul and definitely the Ephesian elders, and we can assume the whole church. Next, we find Paul describing his future plans, which include a dangerous trip to Jerusalem. And here Paul is saying that he's going to go to a dangerous situation, but there's going to be danger, spiritual danger, in Ephesus for these elders to deal with too. I think that that's a a clever way that that Luke tells the story and that that Paul would have uh, addressed the Ephesians because they're so concerned for his safety because he's going to go to Jerusalem where they know he'll experience persecution. But then Paul turns that right around to say, now there's going to be fierce wolves who come to your church who are uh, threatening your flock. They'll come in among you, he said, not sparing the flock. And so he's encouraging them, don't just think about the danger that I'm going to go experience. Think about the spiritual danger that, that the Ephesian church, and we can even say that every church, would experience. So he tells the Ephesian church how to withstand theological attacks. Verse 32, a great, great passage um, would make a great mission statement or vision statement for a congregation. Acts 20, verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. A great, great verse, a life verse, a vision for ministry. And so Paul is saying here, he is commending them to the care of God. Certainly they've always been in the care of God, but as Paul departs now, they perhaps will be realizing that in a in a deeper way, that God will protect them from false teaching 
through the word of his grace and build people up. He's saying, you Ephesian Christians cannot be a weak church. If you're weak, if you have no resolve, if you don't persevere, you'll fade away. And so this will require their effort. It's not just God who cares for them, but the Ephesians are called to cooperate with God, to be built up in in the truth. It isn't just the work of a pastor to build a church up, but it's the responsibility of the elders. That's who he's talking to here. And ultimately, the whole congregation to, to to remain united against fierce wolves that would divide the flock. And so you can see there, under, this is all under the umbrella of where there is faith in Christ and love for one another, there's unity and protection from spiritual danger. So the result of this real ministry is that real relationships are formed in the church, and that's really where we're going to focus for the rest of the message. This relationship that a pastor, Paul, has had with his church in Ephesus The third section is the sorrowful parting between the elders and Paul. It's easy to see why Paul and this church have so much affection for each other when you know a little bit about the Ephesian church. This church has been generous to him, and he has served the church, he said here, with with much tears, you know, with his heart, all of his energy like a marriage where a husband and wife are looking to the needs of the other before their own. Healthy church relationships will be characterized by generosity and service, where instead of saying, I need to to come into this fellowship, whether it's pastor or a member of a church, and I need to get mine. I need to make sure my needs are met. I need to, to fight for you know, uh, benefits and so forth. Uh, instead of coming into a, a, a fellowship, whether it's a pastor or a member, um, with that sort of attitude, Paul's saying it's better to give than to receive. And he, he's saying that to summarize his own ministry among them. So much of Paul's letter to the Ephesians is about unity in the church. It's about that, that thing that God is doing among them, binding them to, to himself through Christ and and to each other. In Ephesians 1.15, Paul describes the congregation as having faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints. Faith and love. It's simple. It's a church. That comes over time, and it comes through giving, investing in relationships, especially when there's suffering. When people come closer together, there is a kind of fellowship that is is so rich, so deep, so long-lasting that when that fellowship is broken by distance, there's sorrow. And that's what we see in this chapter. The affection that Paul and the Ephesian elders show one another challenges the current trend of professionalizing ministry. Professional pastors. And to some extent, almost, um, consumeristic churchgoers. Where this mentality of a pastor as a job, a pastor as work, a pastor as a professional, and on the other side of that, 
a church member as a consumer of a product, kind of a a consumer of the God product is almost how many American evangelicals, I think, think of church. Where there is this consumeristic professional relationship, we're not going to see situations like what we find in Acts 20 at the end where they're embracing one another, encouraging each other, and, and tears are shed because they're going to miss each other. A very formative book for me in thinking of my calling and my relationship to, to all of you in this church is a book called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals by John Piper. Think of the title there. He's, he's writing a book to pastors. Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. And he wrote this book, I believe, in the 80s, but it's just gotten worse since then, as many people have not heeded his advice. Here's what he wrote in that book. Professionalism, meaning uh, thinking of being a pastor just as a job. Professionalism has nothing to do with the essence and heart of the Christian ministry. The more professional we long to be, the more spiritual death we will leave in our wake. For there is no professional childlikeness. There is no professional tenderheartedness. There is no professional thirsting after God. So this principle doesn't just apply to my work as, as a pastor, but really to any job, any job. We all know that there are people who work as teachers, and then there are real teachers. We all know that we've seen people, maybe even just going to a restaurant, there are those who wait tables just for that paycheck on Friday, and then there are those who wait tables because it's a calling of God on them. And those people stand out in our culture, don't they? They're not just professionals, but their heart is in it. And can't we all agree that there are politicians who are not truly serving for the greater good, the common good, but they're serving to keep their jobs, to get reelected? There are those politicians who serve out of the outflow of their heart, thinking of it not as just a profession, but a, a spiritual calling. But I think that's a good example of the destructiveness of seeing only the professional side and divorcing that from our spiritual lives, our gifting, and um, our hearts. And so this unfortunate thing that we can see so vividly in the world of politics, um, working just to get reelected, infects all kinds of other, other things, including even the ministry, I would say. But Paul shows us in this passage that he was a pastor, truly a pastor to the people in Ephesus. And his love for them was reciprocated. It was shown back to him. Not only is there an epidemic, I would say, of professional pastors in the American church today, but there is a widespread error among congregations who want the kind of pastor who is a professional and kind, instead of a real shepherd. They approach church as consumers more so than they do as members of a family. And it's for this reason that the megachurch movement is greatly concerning to me as a pastor. Now the megachurches perhaps could be places where people hear the word of God and are engrafted into fellowship with one another through small group ministries and so forth. There, there can be good ones, but 
the structure, even in and of itself to me, is, has sort of some foolishness baked in because there can be no real connection between the minister who's preaching and the person who's sitting in the pew during the course of the week. This would be an impossibility in so many American churches where Paul has called these people to come down from Miletus, which was a long journey, actually. They've come to the coast, or sorry, come from Ephesus to Miletus, because they love him, they've gotten to know him so well, and, and they're going to miss him when he's gone. Uh, so much of how church functions in American culture is, is so professional and consumeristic that uh, we could say pastors are easily discarded, members easily, easily shift from one church to another, and there isn't this bond of real fellowship. Covenant. It's a word we use in the Reformed Church a lot. And, of course, that is the nature of Christian ministry. Not just God's covenant with us, but our covenant that we have as a church together with each other, including me as a minister. You know, the New Testament doesn't actually have a lot to say about this. And I believe it's because it was just assumed that the pastor would know the flock, that the flock would know the minister, and that there would be a a close, reciprocal, loving relationship What we find in this passage, a tearful parting between Paul and the Ephesian elders would not have been possible if Paul was just a professional preacher and the church didn't care about him as a person. So, you might wonder, what is my experience of this church? What is my experience of Ammon Valley? Well, this morning was powerful for me just being sick, not well, and just all the care and concern that was shown towards me after the service and encouragement that I received. And this morning was not exceptional. Every Sunday is a joy to enter through those doors, to come into God's house, to sing together, to hear your voices, to minister to you God's word. I think of when we began this year with all those baptisms and new members in January, and how there was a sense in the congregation of, of immense joy and of real fellowship, and there's even every week a, a buzz in the foyer before and after the service. Why is that there? Because God is among us, binding people together in fellowship. When we participate in the sacrament in particular of communion, and I look out at you and your faces, and I say, Take, eat, remember, and believe. The body of our Lord was given. The the blood of Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. I'm looking into the faces of people that I know. That is a rich blessing for me, and I hope it is for you too. Like that Ephesian church, we have been through some storms together, haven't we? Several beloved members of this church have passed away. By God's grace, we have endured this COVID pandemic together. And there are forces outside the church pressing against us. And it's not as though we're just huddled in at 333 South Wilma, you know, in fear of what's happening out in the world. But we do cling to Christ together. We cling to the word of his grace, which is able to build us up and give us an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And we do this together. My experience 
is that I have been uh, a valued part of the Ripon community in general and also of this, this church. And I think there's this really rich thing um, in, the, in the culture of uh, this town and I would say this church as well. I want to describe it in this way. That as a minister, I feel I am no higher or lower than other members of this community. And I, that's a beautiful thing to say. Not so much like put on a pedestal, perhaps, which could have happened in previous generations. Uh, not trampled in the dirt because I believe in Ripon and, and in our church especially as well. There's uh, a value on pastoral ministry. And so there is uh, a sense that we value one another and love each other. It's just such a simple, practical thing. What did John say so many times in his letter? Love one another, that your joy may be full. I hope that's true for each of you too, that you would feel a valued part of this community, this church. That you would feel connected in meaningful ways through Christ who binds us to God and who binds us together. If that's happening, we will show affection towards one another. This is meant to be normative, I would say. And by normative, I mean it's, it's uh, the way things ought to be. Embracing, caring, hugging, supporting. If we're really living with affection towards each other, we will live and show that affection like, the, like Paul did with the Ephesian elders. And I think we can say, thanks be to God that this is a church where we hold on to the truth and we love one another. Amen? Amen. Amen.